Back to Stand Up with Pete Dominic on Indy. Sirius XM 104. All right. Welcome back to the conversation. Thank you very much for tuning in. All week long, we have uh, been doing uh, Stand Up on Drugs Week. And we've explored the issue of uh, our demand and our addiction for drugs, specifically in America, with uh, with a number of different guests on a number of different topics and uh, call segments as well. Yesterday we had a really interesting call segment where we asked uh, addicts to call in, people who were, who were uh, former or current. Uh, I guess you're always an addict, right? Uh, and uh, it was very, very interesting and really, really enlightening. Uh, we talked about the history of, uh, of drugs on Monday, and on Tuesday we also – Talked about uh, the legal drugs, if you will, the prescription drugs, the pharmaceutical drugs, and focused mainly on the uh, the painkiller OxyContin and uh, who uses it and how it's used and really, really fascinating. And all week uh, we've all been getting uh, very enlightened and learning a lot and sharing uh, a lot of our ideas on all of these uh, angles. Today we're, uh, we're going to be talking in a moment to two DEA agents, former DEA agents, work uh, employees of the Drug Enforcement Administration or agency and uh, and have them they don't agree actually on what the solutions are hopefully we can get them to talk and maybe agree on some of what the problems are uh, I'm, I'm very happy that we've got our, our next two guests joining us again it's stand up on drugs week and right now we're gonna host a discussion on the war on drugs uh, its causes its uh, its solutions and whether or not it's uh, worth continuing to fight so uh, I want to introduce you to both our guests who are calling in uh, first as former special agent with the uh, DEA who founded the Stutman Group, which offers substance abuse prevention and education programs for schools, communities, and professionals. Travels around speaking to uh, to different groups uh, and, and organizations uh, nonstop and uh, a really, uh, really very busy guy. And obviously a lot of legitimacy and credibility has done, uh, had a very long career at the DEA. And also uh, we're joined by a DEA, former DEA intelligence analyst who now advocates for the regula- regulation and decriminalization of uh, drugs, and he's a speaker and a member of the organization Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Um, Sean Dunnigan, Robert Stutman. Uh, let's go to Robert Stutman, who I actually just introduced first, uh, if we can, and just to ask you a, a little bit about your uh, your career. What did you do at the DEA? I was uh, I was researching you, and you've had you had a long and impressive career. Tell us about it. Uh, Twenty five years. Sean started out as an undercover agent, ran through the ranks was in charge of international training, in charge of the New England Field Division. And my last six years, I ended up as agent in charge of the largest DEA office in the world, New York. And unfortunately for me, as you probably saw, my one of my dear closest friends was a DEA agent who, while working undercover, got assassinated. And I spent my last year catching the guy who killed my best friend. And since then, uh, I have been working with lots of uh, networks, et cetera, uh, as a consultant, and I do about 125 speeches a year, mostly to physicians. You got the guy? We got the guy. I will tell you, actually, the mob got the guy. They turned us over to him dead. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, And uh, let's go to our other guest, uh, former DEA intelligence analyst, Sean Dunnigan. Sean, tell us about uh, your career at the DEA. Sure. Well, first, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate yep. you covering the topic. Uh, I was with DEA for about 13 years, uh, starting in 1998. 
uh, beginning at the, in the Miami Field Division, uh, followed by a tour overseas for three years in Guatemala City, uh, Guatemala, working at the embassy there, uh, at the National Drug Intelligence Center, following that as a DEA liaison to that agency. Uh, then a couple of years in Monterey, Mexico, uh, working on the, uh, the intelligence side of the house. Uh, and that means uh, two things. One, providing direct case support uh, to ongoing investigations. And secondarily, kind of looking at the, the big picture, sort of the strategic picture, uh, doing organizational and drug, uh, drug flow and targeting uh, analyses. Before we get to the uh, the issue at hand, I wanted to ask both of you what you think about this government shutdown and how it affects the DEA. Robert Stutman, uh, what are your what are your concerns for the DEA while this uh, while the government is the federal government is shut down? You know what is amazing to me, uh, uh, Pete? Uh, I debate a guy named Steve Hager, who was editor in chief of High Times Magazine, mm-hmm. and we debate on legalization of marijuana. And frankly, we we disagree on the issue. He is counterculture. I'm not. Steve Hager and I have been close personal friends for 14 years. We never disrespect each other. We never personalize the issue. And the idiots in Washington can't even come close to saying hello without getting in a fight. Uh, DEA has no money to buy drugs undercover. All the DEA administrative people are on leave. A number of agents are actually be talking about not getting paid. Uh, it, it's devastating the government in a lot of ways that people do not see. Uh, what about you, Sean? What are, you, what, what are your concerns for the, uh, your former employer during this government shutdown? Yeah, I, you know, I would I would certainly concur. I mean, it's laughable. I uh, I work for a sort of a politically oriented nonprofit now, and you know, it's just unbelievable to think that you know the greatest country in the world, and we can't even decide on a budget. And regardless of what individual uh, differences people might have about how our money is best spent, uh, the notion that we can't come to some sort of consensus and that we're willing to bring, you know almost all aspects of government to a grinding halt, uh, it, it's really disgraceful. So uh, let's let's get, let's talk about the, uh, the the drug war, if you will, uh, Robert. What, what I mean, describe to me uh, the damages that you've seen drugs do uh, in in America, um, and le- and I want to see if we can get to some agreement here on on problems. I always say that uh, the frustrating part of the conversation in America about any issues is so, often we can't identify what the problems are, so it's really hard to get to, to what the solutions are. So let's talk about what some of the problems are you think with drugs in America, our demand for drugs. Um, first of all, I don't use the term drug war by definition. A drug okay. war defines a beginning, a middle, and an end. Right. Well, one could argue the word the war on terror may not. Um, I, I think it is an ongoing issue that we have to deal with. There are people who can use drugs occasionally and not have negative consequences. Unfortunately, there are a significant number of people who, when they use drugs, have tremendous lifelong negative consequences. The issue would be real simple, and Sean and I wouldn't even have a disagreement. If we could do a genetic test when somebody is born and know which people are going to have problems with drugs and alcohol and know which people aren't, then we could just legalize the drugs for people who aren't going to have a problem and say to the people who are going to have a problem, you guys can't use it. We're not that good. So unfortunately, what we have decided to do is follow a paradigm that actually may no longer be true, which is... If overall drug use goes up, addiction goes up, overdose goes up. If overall drug use goes down, addiction goes down, overdose goes down. And that's the paradigm we've generally found. Look, I am not in favor of the system we have now. I think our system now needs huge changes. 
I am simply against what Leap, who has a number of people who I respect hugely, uh, stands for, which is instead of the present system, let's legalize all drugs for all people. I think the analogy, Sean, would be I have to do with destroy a building on a block in downtown New York. Let's drop an A-bomb and see what happens. Sean, I'll just let you respond without asking a question. Sure. Well, I, I certainly agree. You know, and LEAP does not advocate or condone the use of drugs. Uh, I don't use drugs. I have children. I certainly don't wish for them to use drugs. Uh, I've certainly seen people whose lives have been destroyed, and there are far too many people like that. And I certainly commend Robert on uh, you know, working on the prevention and treatment side of the house, uh, which is where you know we really have seen uh, the, the greatest promise for you know bringing a resolution and a solution to this problem. Uh, but the problem is, you know, we have about 24 million people in this country who use drugs. Um, that's an astonishing number, and it represents an astonishing number of destroyed lives and, and destroyed families and destroyed communities. And so we, I think we need to focus our resources on how we can best bring that number down. Um, of course, it will never be zero. Um, there will always, will always be people who make horribly destructive decisions. Uh, but we need to, I believe, focus our resources on how we can best address that problem. Um, and, you know, we have uh, a system in this country, a history of effective legalization of dangerous and addictive drugs, right? We've done it with alcohol and tobacco. Um, alcohol, of course, right? We tried an experiment in prohibition and it didn't work. Tobacco, I think, is maybe more interesting um, because it's incredibly addictive. Uh, and half as many people smoke cigarettes today as did 30 years ago. Um, and we did that not by making tobacco less addictive. We did it through some honest education uh, treatment programs, the development of medicines, of course, to assist people in their recovery. Um, you know, so we can do it. Uh, the question is whether we want to continue a strategy um, that would put 24 million more Americans in jail. Um, so I certainly, you know, I certainly think we have a tremendous amount of agreement um, on the problem, uh, on the scope of the problem, on the damage caused by the problem. Uh, the question is whether this law enforcement-centric approach we have uh, is really an effective strategy for bringing about change. Go ahead, Robert. Respond. Yeah, because I, I and I want to get to and if you could maybe at the end of your response, here, I want to get to incarceration and yeah, and, and, and how and how how filled up we have more people in in jail in America than any other country Absolutely. per capita. And, and, and so I want to get I want to get you to both weigh in on that. I I have a funny feeling you might agree, and I don't know. Yeah, I really I, don't. It's unfortunate. Pete is a bright guy. I'm sorry. Uh, Pete's probably a very bright guy. No, I'm not. You are. No, I'm not bright. No, seriously, not that bright. I was bright enough to bring you both on to talk about this. So that makes yeah. you very bright. Yeah. Uh, I know Sean's by reputation well. He's a very bright guy, a very articulate guy. Uh, he just did not speak the entire issue when he talked about what LEAP stands for. Look, uh, I do not believe anybody should go to prison for the use of any drug. I want to be very clear up front. Really? I think that is a stupid government policy. However, legalizing drugs as, as, in a, uh, as an opposite is just as stupid. Uh, I think it was H.L. Mencken said, very simple answers are almost always wrong. I think these are both very simple answers that don't work. 24 million people, as Sean said, are not in jail. There are, there are about 2 million people in jail. The vast majority of those people in jail are not for nonviolent drug crimes. Uh, what's interesting, Sean stands for an organization, LEAP, that is law enforcement against prohibition. You find almost no treatment experts who are for legalization for a very simple reason. 
What I would advocate, uh, uh, Pete and Sean, is a drug court system where if your crime is you happen to be addicted to a chemical, you are given an option, which is you get help, which is given to you either under a medical plan or by the government, or you face a consequence. Now, why not just make it legalized and not have a consequence? Because every treatment expert will tell you people do not go into treatment because they've reached rock bottom. Rock bottom for a drug addict is death. People go into treatment because if they are given an alternative that is worse than treatment, they'll take treatment. So we have to have a credible alternative to treatment. That's how how I would use the criminal justice system. I have no compunction against locking up drug traffickers who sell drugs for a profit, throw them in jail. I don't care. You know the rules of the ball game. You go to jail if you break them. But people who have a disease, and I do believe addiction is a disease, should be given the option treatment or a negative consequence. We're talking about who, how many people, though, are, are in prison. You said 24 million. No, uh, no, Sean. no, no. I, know, I didn't say 24 million. No, uh, Sean said 24 million, and then you said 2 million. Sean, there are what, 2 what million are, in prison. No, what no, are the no. I, I'm sorry. No, 24 million Americans that use illegal drugs. Um, so under our current laws, that would be 24 million people who would be subject to incarceration. Well, no, no, almost no, none of them are subject to incarceration, Sean, and you know that. In most states, possession of drugs for your own use is virtually uh, certainly for marijuana, is, is a misdemeanor, and in some states it's not even that. Some states it's illegal, and some states it is just basically a traffic ticket. So, again, I think we're sure. But if you I- have if – if it's a third strike uh, and, it's, you, and, it's, and it's, uh, it's still a crime, you can go to jail. I just read a story out of New Orleans where uh, a, a guy went to jail for 27 years for marijuana possession. Well, it, when that happens, it is just plain stupid, number one. Uh, and number two, I think you will find, if you research it, Pete, that uh, Attorney General Holder basically just came very close to abolishing mandatory minimum laws about four weeks ago. And you agree with that? Uh, absolutely, I do. Of course, I do. Okay. Uh, all right. So, so let's talk. Let's talk uh, quickly just about marijuana, for 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 example, and 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 the idea. You know, I would go to Robert back to Robert again on the prohibition of. Of alcohol, a lot of people make that argument. We 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 made alcohol illegal. We had all kinds of yep. organized crime. Uh, we made it legal. That crime went away. Why wouldn't the same be for uh, let's just say for marijuana before we even get to other drugs? Unless well, we let's extend it right. To- that that's a great question. L- let's be clear about one thing: the drugs that are the most harmful drugs in the United States today, and the model that Sean would have us emulate, are the legal drugs: alcohol, tobacco and prescription drugs, oxycontins. More people die from opioids in the United States, legal opioids, than die from heroin, cocaine, crack, and methamphetamine combined. So is Sean really telling me that alcohol and tobacco that kill 400,000 people and opioids that kill around 25,000 people is a model we should emulate? Uh, you know, I really believe Sean's way too bright to want to emulate that. <laughs> Sean, go ahead. <laughs> well, sure, right. I mean, you know, the issue is whether to get back to the coerced treatment, right? I mean, we have tens of millions of recovering alcoholics in this country who did not walk into an AA meeting and say their name because they were under threat of arrest. 
Um, they did it for personal reasons, because of family encouragement and that sort of thing. Um, so, I, you know, I would disagree that we need a law enforcement hammer uh, to necessarily coerce people into treatment. Um, and certainly, right, I mean, there's no doubt that the prescription overdose deaths are skyrocketing. Um, you know, a, a great number of those are not because of diverted pharmaceuticals, right? It's because people with, with chronic pain and terminal illness who become dependent on those drugs. Um, you know, there's not, a, uh, there's not a perfect world solution here. Uh, at some, you know, regardless of whatever solution we agree on as a society, there are going to be people who are addicted to drugs and there are going to be people who die from them. Um, the difference is we don't have uh, pharmaceutical salesmen and doctors killing each other on the order of 50000 a year uh, because of the prescription drug trade. Uh, we do have that situation ongoing in Mexico. And so what we've done with illegal drugs is done very little to decrease their availability. I mean, 35% of high school students say that cocaine is easily available in their schools. 80% say marijuana is available in their schools. Um, as I mentioned earlier, their use rates are astronomically high. So we really haven't done anything to keep drugs out of the hands of children or out off of our streets. Uh, but we've turned this entire $400 billion a year or so industry over to the black market. So, uh, you know, we, there's a lot of kind of uh, corollary damage that's being done by the strategy of prohibition. Um, I, you know, I certainly agree that prescription drug use is a problem. Um, there's no doubt that we need to pour a whole lot more money into treatment for those people and into education for those people. Um, but it's not a matter of, you know, trying to copy that, that, uh, that a model from any other drug, you know, in the code <laughs> that exists what, today. What would happen, it's though? It's balancing the, you know, the cost, the societal and economic cost of prohibition um, with the societal and economic cost of legalization. Well, Pete, let me, let me address a couple of things Sean said, okay. if I may, real quickly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, number one, I'm really not so concerned. I don't think we should be setting American drug policy based on what's going on in Mexico. Let the Mexicans deal with Mexico. That is, Why not? Wait, hold on a second. It, it's absolutely when, our fault uh, to, to a huge extent because we're the ones buying those drugs. Ab- well, I, I guess I would somewhat disagree. What is okay. going on in Mexico is a cartel civil war. The cartels have run Mexico for years. If right. we legalize drugs, they will turn to other crimes. Do we actually, are we so naive to think that the people, the Fabio Ochoas, the Pablo Escobars in Colombia, if we legalize drugs, will become good, upstanding citizens? <laughs> no, but no one's arguing that. What is going on in Mexico is who is going to run the Mexican go- the Mexican country, country Mexico, the government or the cartels. And I would argue with you, the cartels will not give up what's going on in Mexico, number one. Number two, um, most treatment people will tell you people don't go to AA because they've reached bottom. People go to AA or any of the non-12-step, I'm not necessarily advocating for a 12-step program, people go into treatment because there is a, an alternative to treatment than worse than, that's worse than treatment. It's great if a wife says to a husband, either you get help or I'm leaving, and the husband gets help. That doesn't happen a lot of times. That's why almost every treatment expert disagrees with what LEAP stands for. That means that there has to be a viable alternative to treatment that is worse than treatment. I am not advocating throwing people in jail. I am advocating we have a potential hammer for them. All right, well, that's help. that's two two times you talked about treatment experts overwhelmingly disagree with decriminalization or rather legalizing. So let me legalize. allow Sean uh, legalization. Thank you. 
Correct me. Sean, do you agree that, that most treatment experts disagree with legalizing drugs? You know, I, I honestly don't know the answer to that question. Okay. Um, I, I honestly don't know. My, my suspicion is that because treatment experts, of course, just in the course of their work, um, see the horrible toll that drugs and, and drug addiction take on people's lives, um, that they would be hesitant uh, for, to, to kind of advocate a policy change, right? Um, and it's easy to see from that perspective, right, if you focus on the individual and the damage done. Um, so that may very well be true. Um, but, you know, the, the flip side of that is I doubt you would find too many uh, treatment professionals who would, would advocate for going back to alcohol prohibition, say. So uh, I don't know. I wouldn't want to speak for, for any other individual or group. Uh, in terms of what they're, what they're, well, let me, you know, well, then let me, let me move specifically to, to, uh, to the marijuana issue because that one to me, uh, Robert, is a real no brainer to me uh, because I just don't see marijuana doing, um, that much damage. And correct my naivete on that one. Well, uh, first of all, I, I don't care if somebody 25 or over wants to smoke a joint or get drunk, uh, as long as they're not a burden on society, on the government, on their family. Uh, that's not my issue. The problem is, that if you look at the studies on cannabis, um, it is dangerous for people under age 23. Uh, I, again, I debate Steve Hager, who, uh, who Sean probably knows, is the former editor-in-chief of High Times Magazine. He's in favor of legalization. He points out to college audiences, it won't be legal for you, because if you use it regularly, it certainly causes harm to uh, developing IQ, developing right. brains, etc. Right. So my issue for, with cannabis is is with kids. And so again, why not do the same thing they do with cigarettes? So they legalize it, and you can't buy it if you're uh, say under the oh, age of twenty one. Oh, gee, or that's a, that's a model we want to follow. <laughs> uh, Pete, you're a bright guy, and, and Sean's a bright guy. He absolutely is. Do we really want to follow the model of alcohol and tobacco in the United States? States and say that's been such a huge success. Let's emulate the damn. Well, because thing. I think that when you tax them, you know, the tax on alcohol and marijuana can pay for a lot of the treatment that that we're all obviously advocates for. And so, Pete, that's an urban legend. We collect it, about fourteen billion a year in alcohol taxes. Okay. The government, through Medicare and Medicaid social welfare organizations, pays out about sixty billion dollars a year to alcohol-related diseases. We spend almost $3 for every dollar we take in on alcohol-related taxes. I don't know the number on tobacco. I wouldn't be surprised if it were the same. Uh, Sean, marijuana. Sure. I mean, you know, to, to get back to the, your cigarette analogy, uh, according to the government's own surveys, more high school seniors smoke marijuana than smoke cigarettes. Uh, so, I mean, I mean, that's a pretty astonishing fact, but it's a fact, and it's demonstrative of... Know, what a bad job we're doing keeping drugs out of our schools. But, Sean, all, there is a concomitant study that shows although marijuana is easier to get for high school students, four times more kids drink beer than smoke marijuana. And the studies are very clear. The reason they drink beer, as opposed to using marijuana, because marijuana is easier to get and the price per high is about the same, Kids say on studies is because beer is acceptable in society and cannabis isn't. I guess my argument with legalization, Pete and Sean, is the day we legalize marijuana as a recreational drug, we are saying to every kid in the United States, okay, it's now acceptable. And what we do is add on to the problem of teenage alcoholism 
with teenage um, marijuana abuse. Right. If well, we let's let, let agree, Sean finish though there. Yeah, on, on that. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, the, right. So, the, so the comparison I was drawing was with tobacco, not with alcohol. Uh, and tobacco is certainly socially acceptable, right? You can buy it in any gas station, um, and it's again, let it's yet it's less used. Uh, you know, the issue of what legalization would do to drug use um, is really subject of debate. I mean, you know, if we look at other countries sure. that have decriminalized, uh, Portugal, Mexico, uh, uh, Amsterdam, which, of course, you know, is, uh, well, the Netherlands, um, which have effectively uh, decriminalized, decriminalized uh, the personal use of marijuana, all have lower use rates than the United States. And if we look at our experience in this country, right, there are states that have de- decriminalized, made uh possession and use to be uh, the equivalent of a, of a traffic t- ticket, as Robert mentioned. Uh, you know, those include Mississippi and Ohio that have usage rates that are far below Florida, uh, Washington, D.C., lots of other states that haven't decriminalized um, and that have usage rates, in fact, that are below the national average. Um, so the idea that, you know, kids are going to run out and start using a drug because, uh, because it's legalization, because we've put this sort of regulated system of, of legalization in place, you know, I just disagree with. I mean, it's available. Um, it's available to them. Um, you know, they use it at a rate still higher than they do other legal drugs. Let me let me let me let me do this. Let me go to a. This is a. I mean, I could do this for hours, guys, and I think this is great. I'm so glad that nobody's uh, um, uh, taking anything personal. And uh, but let me let me take a couple of calls. Um, and if the callers could just ask their question, if if we can let both of our guests, uh, who are both former DEA uh, employees, Robert Stutman and Sean Donegan, respond. Um, just make it brief. Sean, uh, Jason in D.C. quickly. How are you? Just real quick, you know, if we're really serious about dropping gun deaths, why aren't we decriminalizing the drugs? Because it seems to me like a lot of these gun deaths that do take place when we're worried about, like, the number of school shootings and so forth, it seems like the majority of stuff that, that's out there when it comes to intergang stuff has to do with financing a drug war, just like the prohibition. Would, would, de- would decriminalizing drugs, uh, legalizing drugs, if you will, uh, decrease gun violence in places like Chicago where there's high gang violence? Uh, if if you go, I'm sorry. Was, you want to go to me first? Y- yes. Answer, yep. Your answer is: if we are intellectually ready to accept making all drugs legal for all people, it probably would cut back on crime. The problem is that means you have to intellectually accept we will make crack available to 12-year-olds, heroin available to 14-year-olds, because as soon as you exculp out a group that cannot get it legally, those same, those same gangs will be shooting each other to control the traffic for the drug for the young groups that cannot get it legally. And I would also point out that more people die every day from drug overdose than gun violence in the United States, and the majority of drugs they die from is not heroin, not cocaine, but the legal drugs, opioids. Uh, Sean, uh, would uh, legalizing uh, bring down uh, violence and then respond to the interesting points that uh, Mr. Sutman made? Sure. Well, it certainly would, you know, and I think this is, you know, where there's an important distinction to be drawn between decriminalization and legalization. I mean, I think decriminalization, you know, is certainly a, a worthwhile goal uh, because it protects individual uh, drug users who are doing no harm to anyone else um, from arrest, from, from troubles with the law. Um, but it's not, but decriminalization in and of itself is not going to address the inner gang or inner cartel violence, you know, whether the streets of Chicago or the streets of Juarez. Uh, and so that's what legalization would do that decriminalization would not. It would take the industry out of the hands uh, of organized crime. Uh, you know, and you know, the, the notion that you know, we have to be intellectually accept that you know, we're going to make heroin and cocaine available to 12-year-olds, well, 
it's already available to 12-year-olds. It's already more available to 12-year-olds than it was 40 years ago when we started the drug war or 20 years ago when I, I graduated from high school. Well, Sean, that's so just not true. Strategy is Sean, not that's, you just made a statement that's not true. true. Okay, so he's saying, Robert Sutton's saying it's Drug use in the United States is down 30% from 1970, period, the end. Nobody disagrees with that figure. So you can't just make a figure and say, and say, oh, it's much worse. It isn't much worse. The problem is the drugs that kill people, opioids, are much worse, and they're legal. Sean? Right. Yeah, well, right. I mean, we can go back 40 years. Um, the reality is that drug use rates are very cyclical. Um, so they were higher in the 70s. They were lower in the, in the 80s. Uh, they were higher in the 90s, particularly the mid-90s. Uh, they dropped in the early 2000s, and they're going up again. Um, so, you know, in, in 1991, 20% of high school students used an illegal drug. Uh, today it's 27%. Uh, five years ago, 8.1% uh, of the population used an illegal drug. Today it's 9.2%. So, you know, the, 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 because of that cyclical nature of drug use patterns, right, you can draw a point in time compared to today um, and either argue that drug use is going up or drug use is going down. Right, and um, Sean, your point is well taken. It is a cyclical problem. You don't fix a cyclical problem by giving it to everybody who wants it. Right. And, and Let Pete, me... I just think it's extremely important for us to realize what LEAP is advocating is using the model of alcohol, tobacco, and OxyContin as a model we should emulate. Sean is a bright young man. He's just <laughs> too bright to advocate that as a <laughs> I love that. I love that tactic, Robert. Uh, uh, go ahead, Sean. I'll, I'll, I have to let you respond to it. Are you advocating the, for what – is Leap advocating for what Mr. Shutman says you are? Well, I'm not advocating for drug use by anyone, uh, let alone young people. You know, as I mentioned, I have four kids. They don't use drugs. I certainly don't want them to. Um, I've taken so far as to drug test them in my house. There are no Fourth Amendment protections in, uh, in my house or in their bedrooms whatsoever. Um, but, I, you know, to, to the point that, you know, if we uh, establish a model where drugs are legal and there's a, le a legal regulated market for adults, um, that those cartels and gangs are just going to go into business selling to young people, you know, we don't see that with, uh, with other drugs, right? We don't see that with alcohol and tobacco. There aren't violent gangs shooting each other in Chicago to sell beer to teenagers. You know, right, and the, but the other point is, you know, and I think this is really important, you know, we're not debating whether we should invent a substance called cocaine and a substance called heroin and a substance called methamphetamine and unleash them on society. Certainly, if we could unring that bell and go back to a point where that wasn't the, what, that, where those substances didn't exist, it would be the best thing that, that man had ever done in history. The issue is they exist, they're readily available, they're widely used. How can we best control it? How can we best you keep it out uh, let me, and reduce the let, violence associated with the drug trade and get people into treatment. Let me get to one or two more if we can, and, and I'm so happy with how this is going. I can see you two guys coming back and, and continuing this because there's obviously we haven't scratched the service. Cindy in New Jersey, you're on. Oh, my gosh. Hi. I can't believe I'm on. Hi, Kate. You didn't win anything, Cindy. We've got, we're not giving anything away, but we appreciate your excitement for joining the conversation. I know. This is a great conversation. I'm a treatment professional, a master's level licensed clinical counselor for addictions in, in New Jersey, and I'm a long-term sober person myself who goes to 12-step meetings. And some of the facts that I've heard don't really match up with what I've learned. Um, I know one name is Sean. What's the other gentleman's name? Uh, we have Sean Dunnigan, uh, who is with LEAP, the Law Enforcement Against the Prohibition. And of course, we have Robert Stutman, who is now with his own organization, the Stutman Group, who travels all over the country and uh, and is also a former DE agent, talking about uh, he is uh, against the uh, legalization 
um, right. decriminalization. And what I wanted to say, Robert, is the statistics that I'm familiar with say that every time that we raise taxes on alcohol and cigarettes, less people use them. The rates of usage go down. So that would support, rate, you know, legalizing marijuana and taxing the crap out of it because that would that would decrease use. Um, and I do. Uh, so my question is. If all these years of trying to get rid of the demand doesn't work, I mean, every if there's demand, there's going to be some person who's desperate for money who's going to go for it. What, what don't you think we should approach it from a supply side more? I mean, a demand I got that backwards. I'm sorry. A, a demand side. side. Go ahead, Robert. Uh, Cindy, I'd like you to cite the study for me that shows uh, alcohol use has gone down in the United States as we've raised taxes. I'm, I'm just not familiar with that study. Well, well, I can't. I mean, it's a public health thing, and it's been taught to me by supervisors. So, you, I mean, well, I would check well, some of the public health studies. Right. With all deference, your supervisors are wrong. Alcohol use has not gone down in the United States. In fact, oh, that would be hard gone. to believe. So when they raise the taxes, it well. Well, let me ask you this. You're a treatment professional, and, 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 and Mr. Stutman said that, that you know most treatment professionals, hardly any, uh, agree with uh, decriminalizing or legalizing. I don't want to uh, uh, say uh, mis- misquote you, Mr. Stutman, but we have one treatment professional. What do you think, Cindy? She doesn't represent, I, obviously, I most. think the treatment professionals are like people, and some of us think we should legalize it, and some of think some of us think it's a demon, and it should never be legalized. What do you think? Everybody. I think that certainly, I think that we should approach it from a public health standpoint, because some people just don't want to get clean, just like some people really do want to get clean. And if somebody right. is not ready to get clean, then we should make it so that they don't kill themselves and put others at risk, because it's a nasty nasty disease and the recovery rate stinks. I think we need to continue to do research into the brain and why it's such a crappy disease to recover from. Um, I, live in Ocean, I live in Ocean County, New Jersey, and if you go online and check, we are having an a- epidemic of heroin overdose, um, heroin overdoses, and a lot of that and comes why, and, and Cindy, why did that heroin overdose come about, that overdose It problem? came about because... Because they all started with oxycontin. I'm going to tell you. They all right. started with OxyContin. Right. Let me whoa, whoa, Cindy, let me finish. You both want to finish. Uh, uh, OxyContin is a legal drug, and it started with a legal drug. Okay, started with a legal drug. Go ahead, Cindy. It's only legal that's prescribed to you. It is illegal if you take somebody else's OxyContin. So these mm. kids take other people's OxyContin. They got hooked on it. And then the DEA, they, the drug enforcement people in Ocean County, cracked down on all these doctors and all these mills that were giving out these pills. And then these kids, it was harder to get the pills, so they ended up going to heroin. And that's what happened to a lot of these kids. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying that the drug enforcement people are wrong for not cracking down on these mills, but it's always the unintended consequences of these kinds of social issues mm. to pop up. So an unintended consequence of Cracking down on these doctor mills was worse. All these kids out there shooting heroin and dying of overdoses. And that's uh, really true. I mean, check the county records. All right, Cindy, I'm so glad that you were able to join the conversation. Uh, uh, I, I know we guys, uh, we've taken up a lot of your time, and I really appreciate it. So we'll, uh, we'll just close it up here with your, uh, your, your final remarks and then uh, let you go, and hopefully you'll be able to uh, come back and continue this. Because I don't want you to say, you know, make closing remarks on the – on the war on drugs, and I know you don't like that uh, that verbiage, Robert Stutman, but just uh, thoughts on this conversation, and then we continue it again another day, I hope. Something Sean said was absolutely accurate. This is an imperfect problem, and it will be an imperfect solution. Uh, but I just absolutely, to the core of my being, having worked in this field for 40 years, having arrested thousands of drug traffickers, having lived with drug addicts, will tell you, uh, the answer we should not emulate is alcohol, tobacco, and OxyContin. Those are three systems that have failed us terribly 
for lots of good reasons. We can't change them, unfortunately, but that does not mean we should emulate it. And to advocate and following that system is just crazy. Hey, I think quickly, Robert, uh, you just mentioned how many uh, how many drug traffickers you've arrested. I think that uh, I've said many times that the guys who are the drug traffickers, the real bad guys, the cartel mm-hmm. guys in, in Mexico, I've said I think they're worse in many ways than al-Qaeda. Just which worse human beings in, in many ways, more violent, more... Yeah, because they kill us in lots of quiet, slow ways. I don't disagree with that. And, and, and also, you know, at least al-Qaeda has some misguided uh, religious purpose that they believe in where these drug cartel guys are just, just doing it, it for, the money. for the money. Um, do you agree with that, Sean, quickly on the, on the al-Qaeda versus drug cartel? Is that a ridiculous comparison? Because I, I think it's in, important to make simply because the, those guys are on our southern border. Yeah, it is not a ridiculous comparison. I absolutely agree. Um, one of the targets that I worked on for almost my entire two years in Mexico uh, was a man named Miguel Angel Trevino Morales, um, who killed many more people than we lost on 9-11. Um, mm-hmm. That's the number of people that he killed and had order killed, to say nothing of uh, the number of people who died of overdose deaths in the United States. I think you're right. absolutely right. Um, I think that comparison really draws the, you know, really draws a spotlight on, you know, what the illegal drug trade has done and the violent inherent in it, uh, and sort of the consequence of turning the entire industry over to organized crime. Um, you know, it is, it's a terrible problem. It's an intractable problem. Um, there's not a perfect solution. Um, and to say, well, we don't want to emulate alcohol and tobacco, you know, we don't want to criminalize alcohol and tobacco either. Um, and those are kind of the, the choices that we have. Um, we really, I think, need to find a third way that focuses on treatment, on education, on solving the demand side of the problem, as Cindy stated. Um, well, but, you know, putting people in jail for it and this law enforcement centric and de- dedicating so many resources to that um, just hasn't been effective. I mean, we have a 40-year history of, of this approach, and it just hasn't worked. It seems to me, well, first of all, guys, amazing conversation, really great. I'm very disappointed, however, in Mr. Stutman, because as I looked Earlier, uh, before the program began, you have not utilized Twitter uh, to your advantage. <laughs> There's been four tweets sent by Robert Stutman's account. They're all in March, and they have almost nothing to do with the issue that you're an expert that's on. What so, that's what happens, uh, Pete, when you bring an old guy on the show. No, because you're speaking. You're you're doing all these speaking engagements all over the country. And I, don't, I don't know why. I want to hear. I want to follow you on Twitter and, and, and see all the links to studies and so on. And, Sean, I don't know that you have a Twitter account. No, I couldn't get on Twitter if you had a gun to my head. <laughs> wow, you guys! I'm gonna. It's too bad because you'll ne- neither of you will ever be on again because of that uh, final point because you're not utilizing Twitter to your advantage. Uh, I joke, guys. Thanks so much for uh, joining uh, the conversation, and let's do it again very, very soon. Robert Stutman, uh, Sean Dunnigan, thank you very much for joining us. Certainly, have a great day, guys. All right, thank you. Stand up with Pete Dominic. For more, stand up with Pete Dominic. Go to SiriusXM.com slash indie.